Well, 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 welcome to the mayhem Dick and Lloyd mayhem Media mayhem Marketing mayhem You might love it, you might hate it Here's my favorite freaking show Welcome back to another Dick and Loy Media and Marketing Mayhem Show. This time, we sit down with a legendary restaurant guy, Joe Wilcox, who handled Plaza 3, the Bristol, and many more of your favorites from the past. If you've been to a restaurant in town or are a restaurant owner now, you'll want to see what both Joe and Loy say about who's doing it right and what's wrong with a few of them, and the memories of eating places long gone. We'll get started with Joe in a moment, but uh, as you know, those political ads are popping up everywhere. Hi, I'm Loy Edge, candidate for president of the Podcast Association, and I would really appreciate your vote. My opponent, Dick Wilson is not a good candidate and can't be trusted. Where does he stand on women's issues? He stands alone. In his own family, he has been accused of leaving the lid up six times. Is this what we want as a leader? An accused six-time toilet stool seat lever upper? I don't think so. If you think you know the real Dick Wilson, you don't know Dick. I'm Loy Edge, and I approve this message. Hi, I'm Dick Wilson, and I'm running for president of the Podcast Association. I stand for quality and creativity in the execution of podcasting. My opponent, Loy Edge, is a man who cannot be trusted. He once left a clothing store on the plaza, followed by a young lady shopper, and did not hold the door for her. Radical, socialist, and an admitted cigar smoker not what the association needs in these times of parliamentarianism. Uh, Mr. Wilson, I don't believe that's the word you want to use here. Uh, just run it the way it is. As long as the TV station's making money, they'll run it. Well, Loy, we're back in our old stomping grounds, Diebel's Cigar Club. Yeah, good to be in the old squishy, comfortable leather chairs again. Who's this sitting across from us here? Well, looks like Joe Wilcox, who is somebody that you, if you've been out, of the, you've gotten out of the house in the last 40 years, <laughs> gone out for any uh, dinner or drinks, you, you probably are familiar with Joe Wilcox. How are and, you, Joe? And, I'm doing great. Joe, why would we know you? Where would we have seen you last, do you um, think? The longest tenure at uh, Plaza 3. I uh, was there from 1990 to 2007. Okay. All right. Came into town in 1979 with the Rusty Scupper, which oh, was downtown yeah. at uh, 14th and Jefferson. That was fun. Boy, was there's it? a name you don't re- you remember, but boy. Well, that was the first new restaurant built downtown, I think, in, in God knows how many years. But uh, mm-hmm. a bit of the history, it opened the night the plaza flooded. Oh, oh yeah. Gosh. So yeah. it was uh, September 13th or 12th or 13th. And that was the great Ludwell Gaines that opened that, was Ludwell was the landlord and uh, the downtown believers. And it was funny because when they opened up Power and Light, I moved here in 79, they opened the Scupper in 77. And I said, you're right on Kansas City time. You're opening this thing 30 years later than they said they would. (laughs) (laughs) Which was, at the time, it was like, okay, all the work was being done outside of town and everybody was trying to get downtown redone. But in fact, when I flew into Kansas City in 79 was the night the Kemper roof collapsed. Well, my gosh. 
I know. I've got like all these. Let me think here. What's going on with yeah. the Joe Wilcox? I think I'm going back to Chicago. <laughs> Flew in town, and there's one of those western storms coming. I'm landing on what in the world is this? Wake up the next morning, Kemper roof had collapsed. Good golly. Wow. So you were there at the beginning, or not the I very beginning, two, but you came in to, to two do years the after. scupper. Yep, did the scupper, and then uh, worked for them down in downtown till 85. Then in 1985, went to work for Gilbert Robinson, and ran Bristol for two years, and then... Uh, Bristol on the plaza, a real stalwart. Which Paul Robinson always said was one of the best he ever did. Mm-hmm, yeah, I'd agree. He loved that place. Mm-hmm, yeah, yeah. It was such a classic. Ran Fedora and then Plaza Three and so what uh, happened with Plaza Three? That's the most recent uh, restaurant to make a pretty big change in the area. So I think uh, just evolution. Mm-hmm. I mean, they brought in Capital Grill. They brought in you know Ruth's Chris, which has come and gone. Uh, you know, the steakhouse business has changed. Miss the salad and the crackers. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I think they... Uh, I think it is. I mean, just what's going in there to replace the old Plaza 3 is a pretty good example of how things have changed, isn't it? Oh, absolutely. I mean... I mean uh, that wouldn't have stood a flying chance. Uh, True Foods <laughs> is... Uh, yeah, I mean, it's a lighter concept, younger demographic. I mean, one of the big things is going to be that, you know, Oprah is one of their... is bought into this company, and it's probably going to be a monster. Mm-hmm. But, uh, mm-hmm. Yeah. It's a different style of dining. But they do a nice job. Good yeah. operators. Yeah. I mean, when, when you got into the business, and that was back in the 80s, a lunch was still kind of a, an event. I started in the 70s bartending and waiting tables. And I mean, lunch was huge. It was one of those big day parts, a lot of business lunch, a lot of, you know, bartending during the day, you'd serve 60, 70, 80, 90 Bloody Marys and people having cocktails and drink it was before wine even blew up but that's know, right wine really started in the in the 80s you know that's when wine took over but before that it was mostly you know cocktails and martinis and you know beers and then wine just all of a sudden exploded that's when everybody started developing these wine lists in fact gilbert robbins was on the front side of that because they were one of the first ones to get in buying futures through plaza three to buy the french wines and bring in french wine and remember when i worked for the scupper we'd go out to napa and we did a wine tasting, and Robert Mondavi was one of the guys doing the tasting for us. Mm-hmm. Mr. Robert Mondavi. <laughs> but that was a California company, so that was right when Napa was really starting to blow up in the mid-70s. And uh, Well, that was the beginning of that awakening for the for, in the wine world. Definitely people were drinking Matus Rosé and Blue Nun. I've got the original menus from Plaza 3 from 1964, and it was a Lancers, Matus, and then... Blue Nun got on there somewhere on the line. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, wow. it was all carafes of wine to begin with, box wine, and everybody was selling Inglenook, and then all of a sudden it just took this quantum leap forward. But uh, Yes. Well, you know, as I used to say as I went into a restaurant back then, take this away and bring me something wrapped in straw. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah, you know. And amazingly, Gilbert Robinson was on the front edge, but to the the best list, actually three in the city now, is uh, you know when Cliff Bath started it with Harry Starkers, they were the first one to get the Grand Award from the Wine Spectator. So Cliff was on the front side of that, but Cliff was from Santa Rosa, California. Mm-hmm. Came to work with, he was originally at, uh, went to Oklahoma State, was at the Golden Ox, and then was the original manager at Plaza Three. So when he bought Starkers, it was the old Trail, Trail Winds or Trail Ridge. 
uh, Trade Winds. I don't no, know. It was a tra- I, it was a, it was an old restaurant that Cliff bought, and he put Harry Starkers in there, and hmm. he and his his ne- nephew named Bob Bath, who now works for one of the wineries in California, was the one that came in and built his wine program. And Cliff grew up in the wine country, so he knew it. And then after that, Jimmy Francais with JJ's you know, mm-hmm. built his list, and he got the grand award. And you know, so you've got these two small restaurants in Kansas City that are internationally recognized because of their wine list. So do you get your, your award only because of the labels that you stock, or how does that award uh, come about? It's all about, one, building a list and having the inventories yeah. and keeping the stuff in stock, because if they, you know, in fact, some of the stories, you know, Cliff would go, you know, they wouldn't sell certain wines because they said, we gotta have this on our list, because mm-hmm. if, the, if the wine inspector comes in and we don't have it, yeah. then it looks like we're just writing a list for the, for the notoriety, because there's, right people that write wine listen to other guys that sell wine and you know and it's all part of the recognition it's like being a restaurant that's always out of your number one item Mm -hmm. yeah yeah well cliff was a great marketer and understood how to position the place i mean they created a great environment was really tuned into the zeitgeist of the time oh absolutely and like all those guys were that happened to emanate from you were telling me the golden ox right well you know where the beginnings of that right paul robinson influence well jay dillingham owned it and i think he and i don't know the whole genesis of it but bill roshabach was the last owner and you know and then steve greer who worked for gilbert robinson before it shut down but uh jay dillingham owned it paul robinson came in and ran it he went to oklahoma state also so that's where cliff bath and pr mm. and, both gone to Oklahoma State. But when Paul Robinson left, Paul Robinson, Ken Hill, who became president of Gilbert Robinson, then he also worked at the Golden Ox and then Cliff Bass. So there was, I mean, talk about rock stars. And they Wow, all, well, I don't think a lot of people know that pedigree. Oh, I'm sure. That, that, I mean, I wasn't aware that everybody from all the heavy hitters from Gilbert Robinson came out of the Golden Ox, mm-hmm. which is now making a comeback. A re- a rebirth, as yeah. is, I guess, Plaza Three. So, supposedly, that's that's what I understand. <laughs> now, uh, Sam Wilson's was GR also, wasn't Correct. it? I have a big history at Sam Wilson's because we came out from the radio stations and did Wednesday night dance parties for years at Sam Wilson's around town. So, probably remember the one at 103rd. 103rd, Nolan Road. Out. Yes, uh huh. <laughs> yes. They'd shut down most of them by the time I started with them in 85. But, you know, they started with the Inn at the Landing, Sam Wilson's. They built uh, 100 West was their club. It was now where Annie Santa Fe used to be. And I think it's Zoe's. Right. Yeah, it's a Mediterranean place. 100 West was when the plaza, after the plaza flood in 77, that's when they put Annie Santa Fe in. So Mm -hmm. they... Then they built the Annie's out in Oak Park Mall. They had the Annie's at Bannister Mall. And, the, and then there was one up on Antioch. So years and years of, of working and managing restaurants and things, what are some of the things you learned that you might pass along to someone who is just coming into the industry? Even though the industry's changed, what did you learn during your years? Well, the one thing that hasn't changed is that restaurants really are one of the last places where you're going to deal with real live human beings. Mm-hmm. I mean, 
when somebody calls, we have people answering the phones. It's not message machines. When you make a reservation, people, in fact, I have people, I'd pick up the phone, they go, what are you doing to answer the phone? I said, it was ringing, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, they're so, so used to not having people. And however, I have tried restaurants now that say, oh, well, hello, yes, well, you can do that online. Would oh, you God. make your reservation online, please? Isn't yeah. that the worst? Yeah. It's mm-hmm. like, just take my reservation. You know, <laughs> well, you can go to Open Table. I'm like, I don't want to go to Open Table. I want to come to you. Mm-hmm. And th- that the biggest difference is, is that they've taken the personality and the, and the humanity out of some of this stuff. It's become just like, here come the numbers. We'll take care of the numbers and call it a day. I had guests that used to come to Plaza 3 and said, Joe, the reason we come down here is because you're the only person in town that knows who we are. Mm-hmm. Guy says, I've spent over a million dollars in Kansas City restaurants over... 50 years. Wow, yeah. You think about it. I mean, and he goes, nobody knows who I am. But that was where restaurateurs like Paul Robinson and Cliff Bath and, you know, I mean, you look at Victor Fontana and, and, you know, all the guys that have been around, you know, I mean, Stephen Malloy over at Classic Cup knew everybody. Mm -hmm. We all knew everybody. You had to. Talk to me about an old restaurant downtown called Eddie's. What do you know about that? Most of their restaurants had shut down by the time I got here, but I know Leroy and Leroy Eddie and A.G. Eddie and the Eddie family. And at one time, and some of the great stories that they would tell was that Eddie's had Eddie's nightclub downtown, where I think the Stuart Title is there now, down at across from the University Club. But at one time, they were bringing in national, international talent that were just this Eddie's nightclub. Mm-hmm. And then they opened, you know, they opened the Loaf and Steins and things like that. But they still do caterings. They do a huge catering business. They've got, uh, but they're a great restaurant family, you mm-hmm. know, and they're fun stories. I mean, one, in fact, Leroy Eddie, who's a friend, told me that originally it was Milliman's was the first restaurant where Plaza 3 was. Then it was Wolferman's. And then when Mr. Wolferman was going out, they were negotiating with the Eddie family. Mr. Nichols was negotiating with the Eddie family to take that location and put an Eddie's in there. And uh, Leroy said his father told me, he says, we'll do it, but we're not paying any percentage rent. Oh, yeah. So when he wrote the lease, he, Mr. Eddie went in and saw the lease. He said it was, they had thrown a percentage rent clause in there. And Mr. Eddie said, we're done. We're not doing this. Now, for Which, those of you who aren't into the, the knowledge, what is a percentage rent clause in a deal? Oh, they've got a base rent, and then after X number of sales, it's usually oh, okay. six or seven, you know, seven percent, eight percent over X. So most mm-hmm. people want a base rent. Most landlords want a percentage rent okay. after you hit a base number. So they're always paying rent no matter what happens. Sure. Well, you yeah. know, not a lot of people know that J.C. Nichols was really the pioneer in percentage rent. He was the guy who kind of started that. Now, does every uh, <laughs> store on the plaza, do you think, have a percentage rent? I don't know if they even know non that anymore. Yeah. That was one of the things about J.C. Mr. Nichols, when he started, when they started, and one of the great descriptions, Barry Brady told me one time, he says, when Mr. Nichols had, it was an incubator company. They'd put people in business, and they'd say, okay, here's your rent, but if you do this much sales, then we get a percentage of it. And that way, he could put people into the base rent. Mm-hmm. As they got, as they grew more successful, mm-hmm. they got more. You know, okay. the, the sure. rents went up, which made sense. It made sense because there was a big. Uh, it was important for them to maintain that exclusivity and to be able to nurture these startups. They knew that they had a success story that they owned uh, and right. had exclusives on because they had such a broad investment in the whole community. The whole surrounding area that they could make that kind of investment in 
in people, I think. And they and they invest, and you're right. They invested in the, not only they, they didn't invest just in the stores and the real estate. They invested in the people, and they helped develop that. And that's what kept people down here for years. Whether it was, you know, I mean, you look at where you had Swanson's, you had, uh, you know, Absolute Florist was down here for years. Yeah, and, and right. Fireside, Laurie Owens. Sure. And you know, a lot of the places that came in, they were able to, you know, I mean, when uh, they brought in Parkway 600, I mean. Forbes Cross and Mike Eastwood. I mean, you know, they had reasonable rent, but they had a high high upside. So as everybody prospered, so did the Nichols Company. In fact, when Highwoods took over, they said one of the issues they ran into was because there were so many percentage rent deals, they couldn't sell any of the leases because nobody knew what the rents were. Mm -hmm. And that's why they stopped doing a lot of these percentage rent leases. It's like $40 a square foot, $30 a square foot, and they started throwing numbers on Mm them. So if you had... 10,000 square feet, your rent was going to be, you know, 300,000 a year, 25,000 a month, because mm-hmm. then they could sell the, sell the mortgage, sure, or sell, yeah. sell the lease. Right. They had which a, was one of those, I never knew that. Yeah. That's interesting. Because <laughs> that contract is collateral. Absolutely. And they said that was one of the problems they had, was that they couldn't collateralize the loans mm-hmm. or the, the, the leases because nobody knew what it was going to be worth. That makes sense. Can you guys between the two of you and I know you guys work together we'll talk about that in a minute in mm-hmm. uh, consulting restaurants and things do you guys remember top of the tower at commerce towers mm-hmm. the restaurants that were up there had the cobblestone walkway down through the middle and the different restaurant themes and mm-hmm. that had closed by the time I'd gotten there but June Holtorf who was our lead hostess at Plaza 3 and worked at Plaza 3 from the time it opened she was one of the managers and hosts ran was down there at that time okay sure she was there forever and i mean she was one of the reasons plaza three was famous because she knew everybody yeah here's my here's my story from that restaurant uh um had dinner one time in the french restaurant section i think and ordered what i thought was teriyaki steak but it was steak tartare. <laughs> <laughs> and I think I had a date that night, so I had to struggle through it. Oh my God. <laughs> you had to wash that down with some of that Matus Rose. Bring, bring me something in straw. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's funny because you bring up, you know, you talk about, and again, it was closed by the time I got here, but, you know, putting all those different concepts on one floor in oh, yeah. one restaurant where yeah. you can go. And, yeah. I mean, it was so far ahead of its time. That I think there's a law firm up there now because I sure. delivered lunch up there once <laughs> through the radio station and looked no. out over that window that looks into the Northland, you know. Oh, so. yeah. Gosh. It tells you how far ahead of things, you know, Gilbert Robinson was at the time. In fact, Mr. Gilbert, Joe Gilbert, and True Milliman were partners, and they ran the four winds up at uh, KCI. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. They started doing, as planes were coming through, they started doing box lunches for people. Can I get something to go? They'd make box lunches for people, and off they'd go. And that's how they started with the airline feeding, because they were one of the first to start feeding people on airplanes. Mm-hmm. So there was so much innovative oh. stuff coming out of Kansas City in the industry. Mm-hmm. Starting out those airline boxes and, and the, uh, the whole idea of that casual dining market that the baby boomers embraced. You know, it's a chicken and egg thing, but when the boomers became 21 years of age, suddenly restaurants had a different purpose, and GR was right there in that innovation and creating that market, basically. You're right. I mean, all of a sudden, all these casual places opened up, good dinner houses, but they were hiring guys to wait tables, and I mean, wore rugby shirts and mm-hmm. tennis shoes, and it was great fun, and mm-hmm. then all of a sudden, 
you're either a, a, a waiter in a fine dining restaurant, which nobody wanted to do that, we mm -hmm. had the experience. But then all of a sudden the casual concepts opened up and everybody became waiters and bartenders and mm -hmm. it just mm -hmm. blew up. That's yeah. right, and you were either a bar that served food or you were a restaurant that had a bar, but right. really this was a new hybrid kind of a thing where there, the bar was a big part of Huge. the concept. Like you take a Houlihan's, for example, great big gorgeous bar was the centerpiece of it, and yeah, you could go get some food over here in the non-smoking area or go to the main area, I mean. As they continued to evolve, I mean, they became, you know, like when I started with the Scupper, they said, we sell food, liquor, and he says, entertainment. Mm -hmm. He says, we're in the entertainment business. And that was one of the things that always stuck with me because people go, you can get a meal anywhere. Mm -hmm. You know, and now it's evolved to where, now the description is home meal replacement. It says, I'm going out, I'm, I can cook or I can go out. Right. You know, but there are very few places where you go for a real experience to say, okay, what's going to be unique and, and, and what's going to make it special? Let's talk about unique for a moment. I'm going to throw another history restaurant out and see what you guys remember about it. The Monastery in Brookside. Yeah, that was uh, What really, was the deal with that? that Monks going around serving cheese the, and wine and yeah, sandwiches? Were, and, you know, they were in the forefront of the wine deal. Do you remember that? Oh, yeah. That, that one was there a short time, but that was Joe D. Was, was Joe D. running that one? Or Well, the, I know the Lister's... That's right, Dennis Lister, Dennis had, Lister it. Right. had it. And He's it, still around town. I don't he, see him much. Yeah, anymore. I haven't either. But uh, <laughs> he did have quite a place there, I think. Uh, you know, it's one of the first places where there was a, a focus on wine. And the, the list was, of course, the, at the forefront of that concept. And they, they, they dressed like monks. Oh, I remember walking in there and the guys were walking. It was dead quiet. There was mm -hmm. like everybody whispering and real like this only darker mm -hmm. with no windows and then you had guys walk around monks it was almost like almost kind of eerie it was <laughs> well it was one of the few restaurants you could go to in town and get a splinter <laughs> <laughs> well that that was i'm glad you brought that up because yeah. it's so fun everybody listening who's been to that place it's it's not one of those top of mind experiences but i'm telling you if you went in there you Oh, you, you remember? You might even remember where you were sitting because it mm -hmm. was just such a yeah, such a weird deal. Uh, well, and it, the fun part about it was those were the places that really got traction because they were so unique. Oh, this is yeah. way too fun. You yeah, know? It's, yeah. You know, I mean, it's like like you said. Who in the world would have thought the Happy Buzzard would be there almost fifty years? That's right. You know, I mean, it's like Kelly's and the Buzzard are the two places that have lasted the longest in Westport. That's right, and the and a happy buzzard was the the place that was the first contemporary sort of thing after the alley. It was a little dive bar, and and then Hal and Gary and all those guys got together and they they built the happy buzzard, and then I bartended there, and it closed. Uh, it became two other concepts that were both short lived, and it was completely different it had formica floors it had paneling it was it was nothing at all like the happy buzzard and then your friend and old gr cohort bob reagan and i we went in and rebuzzardized it <laughs> and it, it was became buzzard beach buzzard beach yes. i don't know when that was exactly but it was a long time ago oh. it seemed like maybe 
80, I don't know, maybe seven, uh, 81 or something. But that was probably the largest rebuzzardization project ever in Kansas City. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's funny because you talk about, you know, you, I mean, Dan Hogarty, who's still in town, and his father, Mr. Hogarty, they had a Hogarty's downtown, and that's where the St. Patrick's Day parade started. And, you know, the first St. Patrick's Day parade went from Hogarty's to Italian Gardens and back, and they mm -hmm. said that was it. We actually interviewed Pat O'Neill a while back, and he told us all the inside scoop on all that <laughs> and how, how and why that happened. I'm sure. It's elsewhere on our podcast selection. <laughs> <laughs> Go to the Pat O'Neill interview for more information. Oh now, you Pat guys is. are working together. Talk to me about what you guys are attempting to do together here for the restaurant industry. Well, we, you know, we for a large amount of money, we will go drink mm -hmm. in your place mm -hmm. and uh, and then go home. Okay, basically. all right, and uh, so. and jot down suggestions on the napkin. That's right, and we'll we'll deliver them loudly. <laughs> okay, well that's good at the end of the night. No, what we're doing is uh, we are working mainly with financiers, banks, mm -hmm. and real estate companies who who have a lot of uh, bar and restaurant tenants that uh, may be in, in need of some turnaround expertise. I mean, mm -hmm. that's one of the main focuses, uh, areas that we focus on is doing turnarounds. And, and Joe has extensive experience in all aspects of the operations, and, and, and we have a lot of overlapping in how we look at personnel issues and marketing and things like that. Mm -hmm. And then uh, we work together on positioning, helping them determine is, is the concept that's in here right for what the market is. And Joe, talk about it a little bit. Well, I think there's so many restaurants that have opened up and they've got a good idea, but they just, you know, it's the old question, I think it's Mary Kay Cosmetics, what's more important, the idea or the execution? Mm -hmm. Everybody gets an idea, but they don't know how to execute it. And, you know, having given our backgrounds, one thing, Paul Robinson, one of the things he always said, because everybody always said, I remember this so distinctly, he said, everybody says the three most important things are location, location, location. And Paul Robinson said the three most important things are execute the concept, execute the concept, execute the concept. Mm -hmm. And, you know, most guys, they look at it and they see a dartboard, they throw the dart for the bullseye and they hit the right wall because they don't know what they're trying to do. And so they're chasing everybody. Instead of focusing on what they want to be, they mm -hmm. chase trends and everything else. And yeah, there's so many restaurants out there, just there's a thousand little things that they don't see. Yeah, and a thousand decisions, a thousand little things is a good way to put it because really through through experienced eyes and when you've you work the winners, you've you've had losers and you've had to do turnarounds and you've been in chaotic places that needed to be fixed and you've built things from the bottom up. All these things require thousands of tiny decisions. And when you go into a place where they've made most of those decisions correctly, it's right. It mm -hmm. just feels right. You want to be there. You want to return. All the things that are important are taken care of. You're relaxed. And, and many people won't understand or, or even be able to identify what's wrong when the decisions have not been made right. But you don't feel like, you know, you really want to go back to that place. Well, it's a unique concept because you guys are representing the people who hold the rental agreements with these people and want to keep them in that location. Well, that's, 
That's important, Joe. Uh, Joe will agree with this because we talked about this. It's very difficult to find clients that you can help who are independent restaurateurs. Mm-hmm. Because if they have, if they're in a lot of trouble, things aren't working right, they're not going to spend the money to get help. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They, they kind of go down with the ship usually eventually. And, and if they are surviving, a lot of times they really don't know what they're leaving on the table and, mm-hmm. and they don't know they need yeah. assistance. Yeah. So to work with somebody who has a vested interest in their success to the point where they can say, wow, you really need to talk to these guys because, you know, you're, you're not performing. Yeah. Uh, yeah. This isn't going to go well. Well, and it's, uh, I read a story, an analogy one time, guy says, if you've got to lose in restaurants, it's the equivalent of driving a Porsche into the lake every month mm-hmm. because the losses just multiply so fast that yeah. it's just like, and especially big restaurants. Mm-hmm. I mean, you look at, I mean, when we started out, I mean, the, the restaurant day, you break it down into day parts. If you're open from 11 in the morning till 11 at night, doing 90% of your business, you had a 12-hour day. Well, now you've got maybe a four-hour day because people go from, you know, you might be able to do a little bit of lunch business 11 to 1, and then you're doing 90% of your dinner business from 6 to 8. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I mean, it's like your guys' radio business. I mean, you look at the, the Arbitrons, it's like, okay, when's drive time? You know, mm-hmm. it's like, jink, jink, and that's probably the 80-20 rule says 80% of your business comes at 20% of your time. Sure. Same yeah. thing for restaurants. You yeah. know, if there's a 12-hour, and, you know, it's funny because people always say, wow, this place is really busy. And I go, there's 168 hours in a week. Mm-hmm. Most restaurants are busy for about 20. Yeah. It's wow. that other 148 that's going to kill you. Sure, yeah. And so... Yeah. You know, and then add to that stress if you've got a swing area that's outside, and you're in a market like Kansas City where you've got uh, a lot of days that aren't going to work for the outside area, but you have to keep it staffed, and you mm-hmm. got to yeah. you got to get you oh, know yeah. service to those tables. And on a beautiful night, if you double your capacity uh, on a bad night, there are a lot of people that are getting that call that they're not needed to come in that night. Mm-hmm. And that sure, yeah. puts a lot of stress on the operation. And it is, it's a, it's still, like I said, it's, it's a people business. It's people, you know, like Mr. Gilbert always said, he says, we're ordinary people doing an extraordinary job. And you know, and that's what you always wanted to, you know, make sure you had was get great people doing a great job. And that hasn't changed. You know, no. the, the most successful restaurants are the ones where they're totally focused on the guests. Who is doing it right in town right now at this moment, do you think? Has any names come to? Uh, prob- well, the two guys that were just restaurateurs of the year this year were Andy Locke and Donald Malloy from uh, Summit Grill, and uh, they've mm-hmm. got a great little company they've built. Uh, both worked for uh, McCormick and Schmick and uh, came through. Is that the Summit Grill out on 291, 291 Highway? 291, and okay. then they've got the one. They've yeah. got Third Street Social and Lee Summit. They've okay. got... Uh, Summit Grill, and they just opened Pearl out in Lee Summit. Okay. Uh, but they're doing it, you know, I mean, you look at some of the restaurateurs that are out there, uh, James Westfall in Westport with uh, Char Bar, and... Uh, yeah, that's an interesting thing. It's got you know, a lot going Those guys have created some excitement in, in Westport, and they've got four concepts going there now, I think. And you know that when you ask that question about if they're doing it right, there's so many different elements to these places. Some of them excel in the in the uh, food area. Some of them know how to create a great bar atmosphere. 
So there are a lot of people that are doing part of it right, but to get all the, get everything, you know, running together, that's, you know, that's quite mean, a trick. Yeah, and there's a lot of, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of good small restaurateurs, Kevin Timmons with Nick and Jake's, and you got, I mean, even Kevin Ryan has just got Governor Stump. He's a small little place over in, in uh, Waldo. I mean, there's a lot of, you know, the Kelly brothers are still doing a great job with what mm -hmm, they do. Mm -hmm. and Greg Johnson. Greg Johnson. With, really yeah, I mean, you start talking about all the guys in town that have been doing it for years and years that are the independent guys. And the hardest thing in our business is being the independent guy competing with these national chains. You know, he's a... And a guest in Wichita that always say he used to race against Roger Penske, and he said, "I would sit and look at my car, and I'd talk about cubic inches, and Roger Penske's looking at cubic dollars." Mm -hmm. You know, he says, "I knew I couldn't <laughs> compete with him." Yeah, and it's the same for restaurants. Local guy comes in and says, "Okay, I got three hundred thousand, four hundred thousand, I can spend to build a restaurant." These companies that come into the plaza, we can spend five, six million. You're going like, oh, mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. You know, but there's a lot of great independent restaurateurs that you know have so much history in this town you know and like i mentioned carl DiCapo earlier i mean he's he's still out there and he was actually the one responsible for getting the world war one monument built but he's been so involved in the community for so many years that there's a legacy there that's just brilliant and that was really a classic place that he had before all this baby oh, boomer absolutely. era oh, yeah absolutely. i mean that's where my parents age i mean many nights the chow lounge is this Italian gardens? Yep. Yes. Yeah, sure. I mean, that was where all the... Well, there was a time, and I, and I contend it was before uh, women entered the workplace, when before the jig was up and everything got exposed, uh, there was a uh, conspiracy of males who... Uh, but it only consisted of about everybody <laughs> who was in the sales or executive role at a mm -hmm. company was having... Uh, drinks in some Italian restaurant at noon, eating a, one of those shredded salads with uh, maybe one piece of purple and <laughs> maybe one little tomato in it, mm -hmm, and yeah. but three, gla three martinis or scotches okay. or bourbons, <laughs> and smoking cigarettes at the table. Okay. And that yeah. was, they had the chow lounge, and that was the center of the universe, I think, for quite a while. Wow. My mom's 91, and she talked, people said, she says, they were talking about watching Mad Men, and my mom goes, I don't need to watch Mad Men. Right. I lived Mad Men. <laughs> she said, my father was an executive, and those guys, I mean, talk about, you know, she talked about Studebaker, said, if you were a secretary at Studebaker, you had to wear high heels. Hmm. <laughs> She's like, hey, yeah, yeah, yeah. You <laughs> oh, know, boy. so it's like, oh, my God. So it's a different world. Wow. Yeah. Now, the, talk about the center of the universe some of these places just do a lot of like i would say that in the 80s fedora or maybe the 90s 85 open it was then it was really the 90s when it caught its big cog probably early 90s but that place for quite a while was kind of the center of the universe wouldn't you say oh yeah it was like the face place in kansas city yeah and it was the place that taught kansas city how to you know instead of we're not drinking drinks, we're drinking cocktails. That's right. You know, and Joyce Angelos was the wine, the wine uh, supervisor, and they had some great bartenders. Yeah, absolutely. It was like the face place in Kansas City because it wasn't the dark, smoky, mm -hmm. you know, Bristol was the party place and it yep. was great energy, but Fedora was the sophisticated place where everybody and that and, and they were running on all cylinders. They were cranking out wine, liquor, everything at the bar bar was really busy and then the dining they they uh they had a strong 
Oh yeah, it was strong program there too. Mm -hmm. And Bristol was the same. It was one of the first chef-driven restaurants that you know the chef came in and they created the menus and you know I mean you had at that time you had uh, venue or venue that opened up with Dennis Kaniger and Mm -hmm. Gabriel you know up on Main Street and and Steve Cole when he opened Cafe Allegro he took it to another level as far as food I mean he was like that was 39th Street yep Steve was brilliant. Where did the restaurants go where the violinist stepped up to your table and played a song? <laughs> the strolling uh, violinist. I, I, I just, Well, I just, I, that's what I remember because I have a Pooch's 210 story. Uh, I was on a double date with the friends that introduced me to my wife, and we went to Pooch's 210. Uh-huh. And when I got the bill, uh, the, my friend and I had to go into the men's room and say, do we have enough money to get out of here? <laughs> <laughs> Well, I told Loy a story the other day, you know, when I was running Plaza 3, I put in a prom menu, home prom and homecoming, because we get all the kids that would come in. And uh, I was walking through the restaurant, and this guest goes, you the manager? Yep, come here. He says, see that table of four with her? She, yep. He says, buy him dinner. He says, tell him it's from a guy in a sweater. It was homecoming. It's in October. Mm-hmm. So I took care of him, went over and told the kids, dinner's been taken, they ordered, and dinner's been taken care of by a guy in a sweater. The kids leave, said thanks. I said, okay. I went over and said, the kids said thank you. And I says, can I sit down? He goes, yeah. I said, okay, tell me this story. He says, when I was in high school, my parents didn't have a lot of money. He says, I had to go to homecoming with my sweat in a sweater. I couldn't afford a sport coat. He says, but I looked over and saw those kids sitting there, and the kids sitting there with the menu at Plaza 3 just shaking, mm-hmm. you know, which mm-hmm. goes back to what you're talking right, about. Right, there you go. And I went, wait a minute, okay. These kids want to come here. It's a special. It was the special occasion restaurant in Kansas City. Right. And uh, so we put a t- menu in. It was twenty-five dollars, all in, tax tip, everything, beverage, you know, dessert. Because these kids were just petrified coming in, but they wanted to go to a special place. Mm-hmm. And so we do that for homecoming and proms. And I told I told Loy, I said at one point I counted up, and we had kids from eighty different high schools come in for prom one season. And the fun part about it was there weren't a lot of places for the kids to go back then. And so they would all come down here. I mean, it was like limos. They were down taking pictures. And I mean, it was like, here comes mm-hmm. the fleet. And it was yeah, great. Right. And it was just Real. saturation marketing because we had everybody from all over the city. So I, and I would tell my staff, this tells you that everybody in the city knows we're here. Yeah. And we've got to protect that. Exactly. And unfortunately, yeah. what happened was they stopped protecting it. And that's why it kind of went away. I think one of the sad closings, at least for me and many people in town, was when the rotating restaurant at the top of the Hyatt closed. Right. Skies. Mm-hmm. Yep. I don't know how their food it was okay, and they had the mile high pie, but it was just a, a unique place to go in town that we don't really have. And the thing now. was, they closed it right in the middle of dinner. They just turned off the key and just, stopped spinning. <laughs> you're done. Yeah. Or right. turned it up into high speed, and everybody got sick and got off. Well, <laughs> it was a carny that did it. Yeah. yeah, but you think about, and again, it's talk about different styles of dining because they've closed Skies, they closed Benton's, they closed mm-hmm. uh, the American, they closed Peppercorn Duck Peppercorn Club. Peppercorn Duck Club. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think Milano's is still there. They closed the rooftop at the high at the Alameda. Yeah, mm-hmm. they closed the Pam Pam. In La fact, Tour en Ronde. In fact, Kevin Pastilli, I visited with him a couple months ago, and I mean, talk about rock stars. I mean, it's, you know, there was Phil Pastilli and Bill Gilbert who. That's epit- right. Talk about those guys. They were high flyers, oh, but they epitomized class. I mean, they walk in. And, 
you know, I mean, Mr. Gilbert was, uh, Mr. Robinson was that way. They'd walk in and you knew somebody special was in the room. But oh, yeah. They, they were just, all partners. They helped, yeah. you know, Mr. Pastilli helped build the Alameda, right. which is now the Intercontinental. And, you know, his son, Kevin, and his daughter, Cynthia, they, they still run that Marriott downtown. And, I interviewed uh, Mr. Pastilli one time years ago, uh, talking about his experiences of being in town when the Beatles came to town. And he oh had some gosh. great stories, yeah. I can yeah. imagine. Well, they were cool guys. At, yeah, because he was running the, uh, he would have been running the Muehlbach at the time, mm -hmm. so they probably yeah. stayed there, didn't In the Muehlbach, yeah, yeah, for sure. Mm -hmm. Mr. Gilbert and Mr. Robinson are, are no longer with us, but uh, man, were they a class act all of All, all, all three of them, I mean. I told Kevin, in fact, I said, I always wish I would have been, because Paul, Mr. Gilbert, Bill Gilbert and Phil Pastilli would always go to Palm Springs and vacation. I said, I would have loved to have been in Palm Springs when those two were there because they were two of the most elegant men you'd ever see, two of the smartest men you'd ever see. And I said, and I promise you, Frank Sinatra would have gotten out of their way because, I mean, they were just yeah. like, mm -hmm. they had that kind of presence. <laughs> wow. Yeah. That's me being provincial, but those guys were cool. Mm. They were. Cool. And Kevin's done, you know, they've done a brilliant job downtown with that. He'd be fun to talk to because. Oh, yeah. We, I have uh, every intention of getting Kevin on the Dick and Loy's Media and Marketing Mayhem. <laughs> okay, podcast. sounds good. We have so many people to talk to in the future. We, you know, <laughs> great people in Kansas City. Uh, I'm, I'm sorry, guys. Hold on a minute. I better get this. Uh, yes, hello? Hey, Dick, Buzz, Martini. Oh, yeah, Buzz, the sales guy for our podcast. We're in the middle of an interview with Joe Wilcox. What's uh, what's up? Hey, listen, champ. Some of the sums come up here that's got me a little bit upset. Maybe you've heard about it. Uh, uh, what? Got, got some people that are all up in arms. They're kind of boycotting the podcast. What? Which, it's hard enough selling this uh, Dick and Loy's media mark. Whatever the hell it is. Okay. Uh, I, I really don't need this, champ. What? Well, what's the deal? Well, apparently uh, some documents leaked out. Yeah. Uh, where uh, you huh? apparently were inciting violence. What? Yes. What? 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 Well, you. It, it looks like in your seventh grade class, you stuck a uh, a backslapper on uh, some other kid. Uh that said kick me oh come on and apparently this kid has come out and said uh Ugh. you know uh, 40 some years later granted but he's come out uh well 50 years but he's come out and said that uh, he was traumatized by this oh come on so uh come on i'd say we got a little problem <sighs> and uh, and Lloyd's not scot-free on this either uh what? he apparently targeted rather violently with a projectile a uh, a child who was uh, no older uh, was ten years old. What? 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 Yes. What do you mean? Well, there's video. Well, actually, Super 8, uh, black and white, no sound footage of yeah. this. Yeah. And it was uh, well, Loy was uh, nine years old at the time, but uh, he uh, he made an effort to uh, hit this kid uh, violently with a projectile in a game of dodgeball. Uh -huh. What? Dodgeball? What, in gym class? Fortunately, he missed, and the child, uh, you know, escaped serious injury, but he's very upset and traumatized, so... Uh, well, all I can say... So they're all boycotting your podcast. This is ridiculous. Yeah. I mean, really? Well, it's... we'll see you in the HR meeting, champ. Oh. Ciao. Thank heavens we're not up for Supreme Court. <laughs> So the Plaza Three, the name, who were the Plaza Three? Well, there were 
two different stories. One was the Plaza Three was going to be Bill Gilbert, Joe Gilbert, and Paul Robinson. That's what I heard. And then Mr. Gilbert one time, or Mr. Robinson one time said, we named it after the phone numbers, PL3000000, Plaza 3. <laughs> I think and I it, went, I like the Bill I Gilbert I think Bill yeah. Gilbert told me the, the other story, yeah. yeah. No, but they, it was, it, you know, I think it was more in jest. He said, we named it after the phone number, you know, but it was, that was probably the greatest, I mean. I wonder who's got that number now, Joe. I don't know. Everybody call Plaza 3. Plaza 3, 0, zero, 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 zero. Rock. <laughs> I love that story, yeah, but it's funny because it was you know, people say, "What's the phone number?" PL three, and they go, "What do you mean PL 3 I said, "Those are the old exchanges, folks." Because mm. these kids don't know. You know, it's like, "What do you mean yeah. PL has a three. Any other great restaurants that aren't with us anymore? Locally uh, oriented. We mentioned two ten. Starkers mm -hmm. is gone. Savoy. They're trying to bring it back. Savoy's trying to get back. Yeah, I think they a little different. There's uh, just so many different uh, types of places in town that. And they come and go. Well, now we got the local barbecue places, which we always had, but they've right. ex certainly expanded and well, it's got nationwide attention. And that's a good point because mm -hmm. Staney, Jeff Staney, yeah, over yeah. there. I at, forgot Jeff, but he's done a brilliant job. And and the guys at Q39 and the a couple of others, they just can't deny how together they are. I well, mean, you talk about the evolution of things. You know, when I was running Plaza 3, part of the reason we bought City Light and put it downstairs was I said people come into town. For, I used to tell people that people would come to Kansas City for three things. They want a Kansas City steak, they want to hear Kansas City jazz, and they want Kansas City barbecue. And mm -hmm. I said, I can give you the best steak in town, I can give you the best music in town, and I'll tell you where to get good barbecue. And people would say, where's the best barbecue? I said, it's, if you're in Kansas City and in the barbecue business, it's all good. I said, it's the guy with the coldest beer. You know, and but now you've got all these guys. Kansas City it used to be steaks, and now as the national steakhouses have come in, Kansas City's kind of lost its identity for steak. Yeah, but it's become barbecue, and you've got the Jeff Staines, and you've got the blind box guys that just opened out on on uh, Shawnee Mission Parkway. That had a fantastic. Man, they are good. Fantastic really sandwich good. there. Probably you know, the best I've had. Burn in, and you've got Jack Stack. You know, I mean. Jack Fiorello, you know, and his, and now Case Dorman's running that. But I mean, Jack Stack is a powerhouse. I mean, mm -hmm. they'd probably do more international business than anybody. Arthur Bryant's the Zarda guy is out. In, yeah, Zarda's out place, just, yeah. Mm -hmm. you know, I mean, you look at it. You've got Plowboys. You've got the list is. I mean, you got smoking guns up north. There's, there's probably where there used to be all kinds of steakhouse. Now there's a hundred. At least a hundred barbecue mm -hmm. restaurants that are all world class. And the yeah. one in Westport, we talked uh, Charbar. Charbar, yeah. and and guys take such pride in Q thirty nine. I mean, they're getting more. You know, Rob McGee's getting more publicity, and they deserve it because that's become Kansas City's regional food. There are people who are coming into the steak thing again to try kind of reclaim that territory, because for a while there, you know, and and. And Colby and Megan Geralt's over at Rye down on the plaza, while Rye out south is really a fried chicken place. They're really working to make a name for their steak on the plaza. Okay. And then mm -hmm. you've got Stock Hill and other places that are focused on steak. But for a while there, I got to tell you, it was getting kind of embarrassing because people would come into town all excited about a steak and they'd say, Where can I go? Just really get a great steak, guaranteed. And of course, you'd have to go. I well, you know, 
Applebee's. I, yeah, Applebee's. No, you'd have to you'd have to send them over to the Capitol Grill and 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 say, you know, I just when it was really critical, you just for a while there mm-hmm. were afraid yeah. to know exactly where to send them because yeah, yeah, sure, a lot of places were uh, kind of inconsistent there, but I think that's that's changing because a lot of okay. people have identified that that uh, gap and they're and they're really working hard to fill it well anything we haven't talked about in this discussion on great restaurants and restaurant management and things like that before we close out well i think the one thing about kansas city and the people need to remember is that it's got such a great heritage and you know when people talk about barbecue you know they, they'll talk about the kansas city stockyards drove so much history in this town that when people talk about Carolina barbecue, it's all pork. When they talk about Texas barbecue, it's beef. You know, and when you talk about Kansas City, like this, with jazz, it wasn't the birthplace, but it was the cradle. They nurtured everything. Mm-hmm. And Kansas City's nurtured a lot of stuff over the years, whether it was where the home of the Rest- National Restaurant Association started or all the independents that made this city great and all the guys that unfortunately are gone now that we've, you know, but that's evolution. You can't stop that. But it's still such a cool city that, you know, as I've told people, I said, you know, people come in from out of town and they go, what do you do here? And there's so many unique things about Kansas City, the restaurants being part of it and, and the people that run them and the people that work in them. And I've told people for years, you know, Kansas City's oceans and mountains are its neighborhoods and people. It's, you know, it's all about people. And, and that's the thing that we've got to remember is as restaurateurs are training people to make those personal connections. And, to, and that's the one thing young kids, they've got to get off their phones and start, in, you know, start engaging with guests. And that's why the high-end restaurants have so many good people. And you, know, you, you go into different places and there's a couple, but it's just about engaging guests and being part of it and making the experience memorable, whether it's breakfast, lunch, or dinner, because you remember the people. You know, and that's what it's all about. Always yeah. has been. Yeah, that's a good point. You know, when I was in L.A. for a number of years, I noticed that really, you know, I came back, people would ask me, wow, I bet you see a lot of really innovative concepts in L.A. and all that. And it's like, well, Kansas City has a lot of innovation, always has. And I think if you looked at which area influenced which, I'd say Kansas City's influence on what was out there on the West Coast was very strong. Mm -hmm. Because a lot of those concepts came from here. And I still see that kind of invention going on with just different fun things that Joe and I will see as, you know, in in our work, consulting restaurants and things. We saw a place last week called uh, Barquet. That's a dog bar restaurant. A lot of innovation there. That was basically the gentleman who started that, that was a zero-base, ground-up, bootstrap project. He just said, hey, this people need this. This is fun. I mean, that happens here all the time. So it's an exciting place to be in that business, I think. Well, years ago, being in Chicago, there was a singer named Bonnie Kolak who used to play at the Earl of Old Town. And uh, she was back in the restaurant when I was running one downtown. And I said, welcome back to town. She goes, I'd love to come back. She goes, it's great to be home. And she goes, and I'll never forget how she said it. She said, Joe, people on the East Coast think there's nothing west of the Alleghenies. People on the West Coast think there's nothing east of the Sierras. People in the Midwest take the best of everything and leave the nonsense on the coast. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly <laughs> right. And that was as good a description of living in the Midwest as I'd ever heard. 
You know, I would, good way to put it. It yeah. was. It was great because you, well, you've been on both coasts. You've dealt mm -hmm. with people. From, you get people that come in from all over. You've done all these stars and all these rock people mm -hmm. and all the musicians. And they come and go. God, you guys are so friendly. And it's like it's just so down to earth. Everybody's, hey, how are you? Well, you know, here's what I like to say. Hey, flyover people, keep flying over. Oh, absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. Well, and I've driven back and forth to the coast a couple of times because my kids live out there and I'm going like, I can understand why they call it flyover country because there's like, Lloyd described Kansas City brilliantly one time. He said, it's like a piece of Swiss cheese. There's something and then there's nothing. There's so and there's not enough density sometimes to make things happen, but it's getting closer and closer and it's getting tighter and tighter as, as people focus on downtown and, and some of these close in areas where kids want to live now. And that's mm -hmm. what's going to drive Kansas City. It's not... Let's see how far south we can go or how far north we can go. Let's see how we can create this energy in this city. And, and, but you're right. I mean, it's like if I want something in California, I'll go to California and come back home because. Well, a lot of the cities reach in critical mass, and, and so the places are just going crazy. I think wrapping it up, Joe, remember when you first got here and how few places there were. Oh, my God. And maybe now uh, we got a hundred times as many places easy. conservatively oh easy <laughs> and uh so it's really a heck of an interesting industry and there's so much innovation going on that that's the brilliant part I mean, when i got here couldn't drink on the kansas side unless you had a club car. that's right now kansas is exploding Kansas is a lot more fun these days it's a lot more fun always has been thanks joe thank you joe thanks boys always a pleasure Thanks again to Joe Wilcox, and good luck, Joe and Loy, on your project working with restaurants to make them better. Uh, before we close out, a little salute to the town of Chicago and a, maybe a new theme song. Well, come on now, baby, don't you want to go? Oh, come on, baby, don't you want to go? We can't dodge us some bullets in sweet home Chicago. Well, come on, baby, don't you wanna go? Hey, hey, better get down on the floor. Let all that hot lead fly above you, sweet home Chicago. One and one is two, six and two is eight. If you're gonna go out driving, better get some armor plate, oh baby. Baby, don't you wanna go back to that same old shooting gallery, sweet home Chicago. Well, we hope things get better there. That's it. And, and that closes out another Dick and Loy Media and Marketing Mayhem. We'll find somebody new to talk to soon. Hang on. You might love it. You might hate it. It's my favorite freaking show. Yeah.